Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another edition of the Todd Pod. My name is Todd Lizenby. Keegan Renault is my guest today of RPM Data. We're going to talk to him about all things college football, the portal, Jackson Arnold, the college football playoff, and much, much more. But first, a word from our great sponsors, Oklahoma Ford Dealers. Don't forget to drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford Dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. I'm a proud Ford owner. My Ford Edge is still rolling. She's a 2008 model, I believe, and she's still rolling. Don't forget to go check out the best in Oklahoma, Oklahoma Ford dealers. We also want to thank Next Generation Roofing, MidFirst Bank, FireLakeJobs.com, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, and also Two Fellas Moving. Let's face it, you can give your buddy like a pizza and a case of beer, and maybe he'll come over and do a shoddy job for you to help move. But it's not worth it. He doesn't want to do it. You don't want to have to ask him to do it. So just find two fellas that do want to do it at twofellasmoving.com. That's the number, twofellasmoving.com. They'll give you no strings attached quotes. And not only will they move for you, if you've got to do some spring cleaning, they've got dumpster rentals and junk haul services as well. So give them a call today. Check them out online. They are two fellas that have moved everything and anything and they will give you quotes on your move. Again, that is two fellas, the number two fellas moving.com. Now let's get on to the Todd Pod. Welcome back into another edition of the Todd Pod. My name is Todd Lisenby. My guest today is Keegan Renault of RPM Data. We're going to be talking a lot of college football. Before we do that, can I do something real quick, Keegan? Are you okay with that? If I do a quick set design change? I have this little guy behind me, and uh, the Packers did lose. Monday night, so we're going to turn him around and face him in the corner. He needs to learn his lesson. Keegan, welcome in. Uh, Welcome back to the Todd Pod, I should say. We had you on earlier, and we've got a lot of college football to talk about. Uh, Let's start with this one today, college football playoff. Did they get it right? I know we've had a couple weeks for this to marinate now, but do you think the college football playoff got it right with their four teams? The college football playoff committee said that they were pretty steadfast that it was going to be the four best teams. And they, they really haven't been that outspoken about that during the entire process that we've had the college football playoff. And they usually it's like a blend of the four best and the four most deserving. And this year they kind of didn't really get the four best, nor did they get the four most deserving. And so, you know, I think it's all, it's really interesting when you go back and you, go through the process in years past. And obviously Florida State's strength of schedule, the situation with the quarterback. You know, I'm a big believer, and we had a Twitter thread. It was a couple tweets or X's, however you want to say it, uh, regarding college football and and kind of the fabric of the sport in general. And, you know, from someone like me that's only known the BCS model or, you know, a two-team national championship selected instead of the AP selection, you know, it was it was tough to see a Florida State that's a twelve and zero team get left out of the playoff. But going into Sunday morning, my whole in my head was they're going to put Alabama, they're going to put Texas in because you can't put Alabama in and not put Texas in. Uh, and so I think they ultimately got the four best teams at the end of the year. Just considering the fact that Georgia, you know, did not play a strong strength of schedule. I know they had some ranked opponents there per the college football playoff committee's rankings, Todd. But uh, when you get to the strength of schedule, you get to strength of record. Uh, you get into the numbers, into the data of things. You know, Georgia didn't play all that strong of a schedule. And, you know, they really 
poop the bed there in that final game. You have a, a reverse that turns into a fumble that really led to Alabama winning that football game. And so, you know, I think all, they ultimately got the four best teams at this time of the year in. Um, now, if they, I guess you could include Georgia among the four best, Todd, but at the end of the day, the what happened on the field happened on the field. It it just sucks that a 12-0 team, you know, the College Football Playoff Committee decided to be the judge, jury, and executioner of, you know, deciding that Florida State couldn't win one game. Now, could, what, am I going to sit here and tell you? Florida State had a chance to win two games uh, against some of the best competition in the country. I don't think so. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's tough to sit here and say, from a guy that thinks in a forward-thinking mindset, do I think Florida State, you know, would, would have won a national championship? Probably not. Uh, but it's hard to say because the game hadn't been played. So uh, I do think that they ultimately got the four best matchups um, for this college football playoff. And, you know, I'm excited to see. Uh, whenever you have two games that the spreads are both under a touchdown and a college football playoff, that's kind of what we're looking for. And uh, I, I'm really intrigued. I think any of these four teams can win the national championship. I, I didn't plan to ask you this, but you had brought up Alabama and Texas and how you knew that if Alabama was going to be in, Texas had to be in. And that obviously goes to the head-to-head aspect of those two playing each other earlier this year. I'm just curious from a data perspective, how much does data care about the head-to-head aspect? Is Do we as humans take that into account too much when we're talking about finding the best teams over the course of a 12-game season? We can go back to the first time that I was on the Todd pod, right? Talking about Oklahoma and Texas and who Vegas would favor in a rematch if the game was played the next week. Now, I think the data does take into account how a team played against each other, but you go to the BCS and what the BCS model would have said in terms of the four teams getting in the playoff. It actually had Texas out and had Alabama and Florida State in as the three and four. And so, you know, I, I do think that the when you do look at head-to-head matchups, the, the data doesn't really – Whenever you get down in the weeds with it, does it does it say that Texas played Alabama at their place? No, it, it doesn't. Um, it basically views Alabama as Team X and that their strengths and weaknesses are such and such. And then Alabama, you know, it, it, in terms of playing Texas again, you know, what would that matchup look like? It, it doesn't take into account the first game, um, but us humans – We can look at it and say, hey, these were the matchups that went poorly for Alabama. Uh, This is how Alabama is playing right now. Um, And and I do think it would be, you know, a line for that game would be somewhat similar to what it was the first time when you account for neutral field. Um, Alabama would probably be a slight favorite over Texas, even though I know the SP Plus and some of the top metrics out there don't view Alabama right now as a super strong team, Todd. Uh, But I do think what we're seeing in the market with Alabama getting early money against Michigan for the college football playoff, I would imagine that would be somewhat similar to if they played Texas, considering that the metrics love Michigan uh, right now heading into the playoff. And uh, it's just a believer if you can think Michigan can finally get over that hump against an Alabama team uh, that's bigger, that's a little more physical, that's stronger, that has more athletes across the field. Uh, I'm excited to see how these matchups play out. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we don't have to worry about this next year, right? Because we got a 12 team playoff and we're arguing over a couple nine and three teams or 10 and two teams. And there's a lot less weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I think the the playoff committee could kind of throw their hands up and go, hey, man, you guys don't like it. Good news. Next year, you don't have to deal with it. Um, but I, I think this is the first time in the college football playoff era where there has been a legit discussion with as many as six or seven teams that could have made that four-team playoff. I'm just curious, when you do look at raw data, Keegan, who does data tell you the four best teams in college football are right now? 
Yeah, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Georgia, and Alabama. But, I mean, it's kind of, yes, like, duh, right, that those are the four best teams in college football right now. Obviously, Ohio State's quarterback play this year hasn't been what it's been in the past with Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace there, and uh, C.J. Stroud. But at the end of the day, Ohio State and Jim Knowles' defense, uh, give him, give Jim Knowles some time. He's going to put a really good defense on the field. We learned that here locally with Oklahoma State. Uh, and then obviously those would be the four best right now. And then I think Texas would be right there at five. Um, I don't have everything pulled up right in front of me, but uh, I think those are probably the five best teams. And, and then Oregon, right? Even though they've lost to Washington straight up twice, the, the data really loves Oregon and metrics really love what Oregon's done this season. Washington was just a really poor matchup for them. And I think that whenever you get into these playoffs and you get into the head-to-head matchups, you know, we can sit here and break down and, you know, what my numbers have for the playoff are going to be different than what other people have. But at the end of the day, uh, matchups are going to drive games whenever you have spreads that are this tight. Uh, I believe um, I believe Texas is like a four-and-a-half point favorite over Washington and Michigan's a point-and-a-half favorite over uh, Alabama right now. And so matchups are going to drive this stuff moving forward. And you know, I think whenever you get into the weeds of these games, um, in terms of like who are the four best teams, like Washington would be a really bad matchup for Michigan. Washington would be a really bad matchup for Ohio State. Uh, and Washington and Texas are more similar. And so I think we've got some, you know, you get deep in the weeds with this stuff. You get you get teams that are within a field goal or a touchdown of each other. You know, I think matchups and how things drive uh, games with that depend you know really give you a better perspective on how things should play out uh but at the end of the day obviously as you asked I, I do think the metrics right now based off things that I look at would have Ohio State would have Michigan would have Alabama would have Georgia and I think Texas would be right on the outside uh, of those four all right 30 second quick hitter tell me who's going to win the college football playoff and why before we move on to some Oklahoma football Believe it or not, I, I do think Alabama is going to find a way. Nick Saban is going to win another national championship here. Jalen Milrow uh, is playing at a much higher level right now than he was two months ago. And obviously Alabama's defense, they're pretty young. Uh, Caleb Downs, a freshman starting in their secondary. Uh, I think Alabama is just a, a much better team at this point in the season, and they're going to find a way to win this thing at the end. Yeah, it's so crazy. We get so caught up on, you know, the whole season should matter. Uh, then it's who's the best teams, and as Garen Emick pointed out when we reacted immediately to the, the college football playoff rankings, this is an Alabama team that a week before they beat Georgia, nearly lost at Auburn, the same Auburn team that got destroyed at home by New Mexico State. So college football is such a fickle beast. It is it is strange, Keegan. I don't know. You're a lot younger than I am. I don't know how much bowl season really meant to you as a kid because you grew up more in the BCS era. Uh, than you did in the bowl era. But bowl season, for all intents and purposes, is pretty much dead now. It, it's it's at, at minimal, it's different, because it's a lot more about building towards next year than it is having the grand showcase for this year. With that said, there's a lot of building towards next year that's going to start for Oklahoma in bowl season, and it starts with the signal caller in Jackson Arnold. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jackson Arnold? What little you've seen from him this year? And what do you hope to see from him in the bowl game? The first thing that comes to mind, Todd, is that it was very obvious why Dylan Gabriel was quarterback one heading into the year. And they didn't really move off of that, that it wasn't a Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler situation where Caleb Williams was much closer to being game ready 
you know, Jackson Arnold against BYU, I, I think you can kind of go to two points in this conversation. One, you know, t- his overall talent. I think he's obviously a much more talented quarterback uh, in the long run than Dylan Gabriel is. But then two, you know, how much did Jeff Levy give the playbook in that second half against BYU? Did he take some stuff away? You go back to the Kansas game where, you know, Jeff Levy really minimized the playbook for Dylan Gabriel in the rain. You know, they had some adversity kind of facing them in that game. And so I wonder, you know, if we would have a better perspective on Jackson Arnold heading into his first game, if, you know, the BYU, the weather, it was raining that entire game. You know, Dylan Gabriel goes down the second quarter. Jackson Arnold comes in. You know, it seemed like that the playbook was pretty limited in terms of what they gave Jackson Arnold. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I thought the one of the biggest things from that game we learned is Jackson Arnold is, not one, not afraid of contact, but two, he is pretty athletic. And I think that whenever you get into these systems with Jeff Levy and Seth Luttrell is somewhat from the air raid, you know, and, and somewhat of the Bryles tree, it's a mix of the two where Jackson Arnold's athleticism is going to be on display. Now, they, they, they may not have a quarterback uh, for a backup quarterback for them whenever they play Arizona that they fully trust. So maybe, you know, Jackson Arnold's legs aren't going to be utilized what they will be next season. But I think Jackson Arnold, in terms of the athleticism he brings to the table, that really opens a lot what they can do offensively for him. And I think Seth Luttrell, you go back, and I know everybody's gone back and listened to the Indiana interview. They've gone back and listened to some of the stuff at North Carolina. And obviously, all the great stories that were written about his time at North Texas with Mason Fine at quarterback. Seth Luttrell is going to listen to the quarterback. Seth Luttrell is going to know and put his quarterback in the best position to succeed and maximize his abilities. And I think that that is something we're going to learn over the course of the next nine months before next season. Uh, Jackson Orner, is he mentally, from, from a processing perspective, is he up to snuff quite yet? Uh, we don't know. Um, you know, I, I think that we saw some stuff in the Tulsa game. Obviously, the throw to Nick Anderson, people are going to remember. You know, that's really impressive of what he did um, and the little moments he had. But we still don't know a lot quite yet. But at the end of the day, Todd, I do think this is a quarterback that does raise the ceiling of a football program. And now it's just maximizing who he is as a football player. Yeah, I think also not only do you not want to get him hurt because you don't have a viable backup probably against Arizona, but these next four, five, six months are going to be vital to what the offense is going to look like next year with Seth Luttrell at the helm, and you don't want to have him injured during that time for offseason stuff as well. So um, I wouldn't expect the full playbook, but I'm just curious. You know, Seth Luttrell has said, he said, as we're recording this on a Wednesday, he said yesterday during OU's press availability that they're using a lot of the same verbiage, a lot of the same playbook that Jeff Levy used just for continuity's sake going into this bowl game. I, w- I would imagine there will be a few little tweaks here and there that Seth Luttrell will put his thumbprint on this game a little bit. But just from what you've seen, from what you know offensively, how will Seth Luttrell's offense in your mind look different than what we've seen from Jeff Levy offensively? I haven't gone back and studied a lot of what he had at North Texas. Finding uh, all 22 and coaches cut tape, Todd, from Three, four years ago is pretty tough. Um, I do have some access to some things. But at the end of the day, you know, I think Seth Luttrell, the biggest thing that sticks out to me and things that have been reported from the stories that have been written from Eli Letterman with you guys over at Sellout Crowd and everybody else, I I, I think the thing that sticks out to me is he, he basically everybody has said he, he is going to adapt to the personnel he has. And obviously one of the biggest variables of trying to project out what this offense may look like for next year, what does this offensive line look like? Uh, what is the personnel? Obviously, now as we're recording this today, Caden Green, you know, 
plans and to expects the end of the transfer portal. We'll see if Oklahoma can kind of come back in and keep a hold of them. But at the end of the day, I, I think that this is an offense that you're going to see that's going to adapt to the personnel it has. Oklahoma lands a big time receiver in the transfer portal. And I know Oklahoma fans are were excited whenever Deion Burks announced his commitment. I don't think people understand that this is probably going to be Oklahoma's best receiver for next season. And that's nothing against Nick Anderson. That's nothing against Andre Anthony, Jaleel Farouk, any of the guys that they currently have. Uh, Deion Burks is that kind of game changer as a slot receiver and something Oklahoma had with Marvin Mims. And we saw what that can do to an offense. And so in terms of what Seth Luttrell will bring to the table, I, I think they've got the deepest wide receiver room they've had uh, since I've been covering Oklahoma, been covering, right, in parentheses. But, you know, they watching tape. This is probably the deepest receiver room they've had um, in terms of this overall talent. Um, and so I, I think that they're going to try to maximize that. And, and what does that mean? Uh, you know, I think Jeff Levy, for all he was at Oklahoma, which was good as an offensive coordinator. And, and I know that's gotten a, thrown to the weeds a little bit because of how things ended here. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think Jeff Levy, you know, somewhat kind of always fit square pegs in the round holes at times. And, well, hey, this is my, this is the offense. We're going to run it. Uh, and this is what we do. And there wasn't really a, an ad adaptation to what they have in terms of personnel. And so I, I think that's going to be the biggest obvious change is I think they're going to adapt to the personnel that they have. Does that mean, you know, not as many jet sweeps across? I don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think that the Jeff Seth Luttrell is going to listen to his personnel and he's going to try to maximize that personnel for what he is. And again, I, I think Seth Luttrell in terms of, you know, some people, you know, may think and be a little cautious optimism, right? No, I mean, I, I think Seth Luttrell in terms of Jeff Levy and like how, in terms of valuable, both of those guys are somewhat similar. Um, Seth Luttrell's obviously has head coaching experience too. So I think that all of that's a positive for Oklahoma for next season. Yeah, I, I would just throw in there that, you know, I think in this day and age of all the movement, all the portal stuff, which we're going to get into in college football, that you need a guy who is going to be able to change with his players and not be as dug in, heels into the ground with his system. Because, you you know, you've got to go get guys to fit that system. And when guys are constantly leaving, it's hard to continuously find people that fit perfectly into your system. So I do think that's a good trait to have. Now, with that said, Brent Venables has a system defensively. We would agree on that, right? And Brent Venables has gone about it kind of the other way on that side of the ball, which is I am going to find the guys. And the biggest part of having a system defensively is or offensively is retaining those guys nowadays. Billy Bowman, Danny Stutzman, both coming back uh, for for kind of you know the the. Oh, the talking point of this Brent Venables coaching staff, it's, hey, we want to be relational. We don't want to be transactional. We don't want to be just a stop for you. We want to have a relationship with you. If you retain Billy Bowman, Danny Stutzman, that's great, but it's only really showing that what you're doing works if they have good years next year, right? And if they continue to grow and you can sell to people a reason why you should stick around for a long time at Oklahoma. So with that said, how important is it that those two guys are coming back and what do you look for them to improve on next year, Keegan? Definitely think in terms of the decisions for both. First off, I, I, I think Billy Bowman had a lot more to improve upon and put on tape than Danny Stutzman did. And I think Danny Stutzman and his dad did a great job, you know, explaining the entire process. Like it, it would make a whole lot of sense for Danny Stutzman to come out. He, he would make more money playing in the NFL next year than he will at Oklahoma. 
And for Billy Bowman's perspective, I do think that there are some things that he can improve upon to guarantee himself that he's going to be picked in the top 100 of next year's NFL draft. And for Billy's perspective, tackling from the safety position has to improve a lot. And you go back to the Texas game, and I talked about it all week, and I maybe talked about it with you when I was on after that Texas game. Billy Bowman in that game, that is exactly what it's supposed to look like whenever I'm going crazy on Twitter talking about run support from the safeties and linebackers. That's what it's supposed to look like. Uh, Billy Bowen being aggressive downhill, not getting caught with a lot of space between him and the ball carrier, and making plays at the point of attack. And obviously Billy improved upon in, in coverage this year. But at the NFL level, as we're seeing more 12 personnel, two tight end sets, teams are being a little more adamant about running the ball at times. Safeties have to be really good defending the run. And it, even though it's a you know minus EV play for an offense uh, in terms of running the ball at the NFL level, uh, the more, more times or the more players you have at the safety positions that can stop the run first uh, really helps you out in terms of forcing teams into second and long and forcing teams into down and distance situations that are tougher, right? And so for Danny Stutzman, he's just got to be more physical at the point of attack. Uh, I think that, you know, in terms of his progression from 2022 to 2023, Todd, where, you know, Danny was a little lost at times, and he even admitted that. I think uh, Brent Vimbles basically said that, he didn't ask me for the playbook until like fall camp or three weeks into the season in 2022. And, and it showed uh, during the 2022 season that, you know, Danny, I thought, struggled at times in terms of fitting the run, in terms of being where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there. That improved this year. And what he can really do for next season, he's just got to be more physical at the point of attack. He's also got to be healthy as well. And I think his health, the final six games of the year, obviously – the ankle injury against Kansas, and then he started wearing an elbow brace uh, during the back half of the season. I think Danny was really banged up. And I know a lot of fans, you know, particularly watching him, were sitting there saying, hey, you know, he wasn't playing like a top 100 pick at the end of the year. There, there's a reason for that. The guy was the guy was pretty hurt. And so I think just a, it's a matter of him getting healthy, getting a little more stronger in the, in the getting a little stronger in the weight room, and just being more physical at the point of attack, more knockbacks in terms of fitting the run, um, I, I, I go back and I think about the Cincinnati play on that third down. It's like third and three where he comes in, he fits the run, and he knocks the running back right back, and it turns into a fourth and two in Cincinnati punts. More plays like that from Danny Stutzman for next year, I think guarantees himself to get picked on day two. What did you think of the, uh, the video he filmed with the boss? Were you a fan of that? Content king. I said this. <laughs> uh, Danny Stutzman knows what he's doing, and uh, he's – that probably helped and made him more money uh, in terms of marketing as NIL away from what Oklahoma and their collective would be paying. That video probably helped him out quite a bit. Well, and also if if the if it's true, and I don't I don't I haven't been in the conversation, so I don't know the numbers, but if it's true that he's not going to make as much money coming back to Oklahoma as he would playing in the NFL, when you're talking about a guy who is a content king who does have a cult following. That shows you that for as much as NIL has changed college football, the NFL is still king when it comes to paying. It's not keeping guys in college football any longer, especially the best players. If you're a fringe draft pick guy, it may keep you in a year longer. Uh, if you're a guy you know, like a Dylan Gabriel who's able to take advantage of that extra year, it may keep you in a little longer as well. I do want to ask you one more question before we get into a rapid-fire round, Keegan. You mentioned Caden Green. Um, are you worried about this offensive line? And is it going to be the position where Oklahoma is going to have to hit the portal the hardest and have to hit on some guys? 
It is a concern, and it was somewhat of a concern before Caden Green entered. Just kind of rolling through offensive line recruiting and development and strategy, and and we're probably another month away from talking about the previous regime and talking about the recruiting strategy that Lincoln Riley had where they were basically selling starting positions in the future. And so it was always really tough to stack, you know, really good classes on top of each other. And you go back and you look at the offensive line recruiting during that time, taking two guys a year, taking three guys a year, taking four guys even. Um, that was it. That's probably wasn't the best mode of action. And that gets you into the position you're in right now. Now you're two years removed from it, the 2023 class, the 2024 class, or the first two full classes removed of the offensive line recruiting and strategy. And mentioned development is too. Difference between Jerry Schmidt and Biddy Wiley. I think we found that out over the course of time that, you know, what Jerry Schmidt does is more beneficial for offensive line and defensive line development physically than what Benny Wiley's was. And so, you know, I think whenever you look at the situation in, in totality, it's going to take some time to build this thing back up. You were able to get – you have one starter from the transition class in 2022, Todd, and Jacob Sexton for next year. You had Caden Green was the second one from the 2023 class. That was a really good start for Bill Bebo to build this thing back up. Now Caden Green enters – or is expecting to enter the transfer portal. He hasn't officially entered quite yet. That leaves – some problems in terms of you don't want to rely on the transfer portal. You can't build offensive lines through the transfer portal. They're, you know, a Band-Aid on a bad problem, right? And so, you know, Bill Beanboat, in terms of the 2024, the 2023 and 2024 recruiting classes, he needs to hit on three or four of those guys now. And you thought you had one in Caden Green. Now that guy's gone. And so, yes, I do think it's a problem. You know, heading into yesterday morning before the announcement, Todd, my bigger concern was about cornerback play than it was offensive line play. Uh, but I can tell you in a matter of 24 hours that a uh, concern has definitely flipped to, I think this offensive line is definitely going to be a huge question mark for next season. It was already, but now it's an even bigger one. And again, I not to sit here and say Caden Green was a, a ready-made product already, but in terms of being able to develop him and we could get into, I know we don't have a lot of time. We could probably do another whole podcast on transfer portal and roster construction in college football. But just for, from thinking of it from an MOV perspective, you had two years of cost control with Caden Green, where you had two years where you already had his what his NIL number was. You already had him in terms of in-house. It would have been a lot better to develop him over the course of time. And now you're bringing in a one likely what is going to be a one-year rental. And so that really puts an emphasis on some of these 2024 guys, whether it's Eugene Brooks. We'll see if they can get a commitment from Eddie Pierre-Louis, uh, the offensive lineman from Florida. If they can land those two guys, they're probably in a little bit better shape, Todd. But at the end of the day, it's and not just talking about the 2024 season. In general, I do think it's a somewhat of a concern right now in terms of the offensive line room. I, I lied. I do want to bring up one more thing because I don't remember if we talked on the on the Todd pod last time about this or if we talked about this kind of off air. But you you had told me there there are guys who are out there who will go to a school and find out how much in NIL money can this guy get? Then they'll call that guy out of the blue and say, hey, you don't know me, but if you go sign with, we'll just throw out Houston, you can make six hundred grand. I just get a cut from it, right? Isn't that kind of how that works? That is how that works at times right now in the world of the transfer portal. And they're going back to, there was a, a guy that transferred from Syracuse that committed to Wisconsin. There's a great story in The Athletic about this that an agent got involved and said, hey, you can make X amount of money and if, you know, I'll collect 15% of it, but I can make you more money going to this place. Player decommitted from Wisconsin, 
transfer, decommitted from Wisconsin the next day after he committed, and then recommitted back to Wisconsin two days later. And so, yeah, that, that the process right now is unsustainable uh, for these players. And, and you mentioned a second ago regarding like NFL money. We're, we are seeing more players this year that are day three draft picks going back to school that would not that are not going to make more money at the college level than they would at the NFL level. And it's uh it's pretty fascinating to see. I think there's some bad advice being given out there in terms of guys going back, some guys going back to school. Um and, and from what I do in my neck of the woods in the agent world, uh there is a lot of people scrambling to figure out what their 2024 NFL draft class is going to look like. And to everything you just mentioned, I, I think that plays a huge part in it where these guys are getting promised that they can go in the portal and that they have X amount of dollars at certain schools. And at the end of the day, a lot of the numbers you see out there are total contract numbers. So if you have three years of eligibility remaining and you're getting a $750,000 deal, that's for $250,000 per year. Mm-hmm. And if you don't exhaust that all, if you don't exhaust all the eligibility, Todd, now you're making less money than you would if you would have gone to the NFL. And so I, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on right now behind the scenes in college football. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. And, you know, shout out to Matt rule for uh, being a little more public about it. And Lane Kiffin's obviously very public about kind of what's going on in college football. Um, And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, we'll see if this gets fixed with some federal legislation. Um, But right now it's just an unsustainable model. And, you know, I think at at some point these collectives are going to get really, really smart about the way they distribute their money. Um, and I can tell you that there are some schools that are being really smart about how they distribute their money. And, you know, they're finding out, hey, player X isn't really worth 4% of our entire budget. Player X, we get into like the salary cap part with the NFL. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have to start thinking about this stuff a little bit differently. That's kind of grody, but it's the it's the new reality when it comes to college sports. And we should all get used to it with the uh, super conferences and a 12-team playoff. It's going to continue to feel more and more like the NFL, which personally I don't necessarily hate. Uh, All right, let's get into some quick hitters, Keegan. you got 30 seconds to answer each of these four questions. Let's start with question number one. 249 and a half is where I'm setting the line. Over, under, passing yards for Jackson Arnold in the Alamo Bowl. Over. Uh, Arizona, oh, take that back. I'm going to go under. Arizona's secondary is really good. Uh, I've – Hinted at this. This is an Arizona. This is not your uncle's Arizona team anymore. This is a very deep, talented Arizona team. So I'll take the under. They're a little bit weaker on the line of scrimmage and at linebacker. And so I would imagine Oklahoma may be able to run the ball pretty well. But that's also pending how the off what the offensive line looks like for this bowl game. That means I said a good line if you said over and then change your mind back to under. So I'm proud of myself for that one. And you mentioned Arizona. It's also interesting. Arizona, if we had a 12 team playoff. They might be your Big 12 champion in the playoff this year. Uh, so that program can use this for sure as a stepping stone going into a new look Big 12 next season. All right, let's talk about next season. OU to the SEC. We know uh, as we record this, we will find out tonight when they play their opponents in the SEC schedule release. But we know who their opponents are going to be next season. I'm going to set the number at eight and a half on regular season wins for Oklahoma next year. What do you got, Keegan? Man, you're just setting up for Oklahoma fans to hate me for an entire offseason. I'm going to go under. Eight, at, at eight and a half, I would go under. Um, I, I think that this is a, it's a very tough schedule. Oklahoma is building towards 2025 for, from basically for next year. 
And so I, I think eight is a pretty pretty good number in terms of them for wins for next season, seven, eight wins. And so under eight and a half for me. Um, and I just think the road games at Auburn, at Ole Miss are going to be tougher than what people expect. Um, and so I, I, and obviously they have games against LSU, Alabama and Texas. And you go two and three against that group, you feel pretty good about where you're at heading into 2025. One of the things that you're good at, Keegan, is having opinions on assistant coaches. You love coordinators. You love finding out what they do. So with that in mind, who has made the best kind of under-the-radar assistant coach hire in your mind in college football this offseason so far? Yeah, just right off the cuff, I I love what Jonathan Smith did by poaching uh, Rossi, the defensive coordinator from Minnesota. It's a lot like – it's a a lot like – Well, don't can't, can't, my thought went away. But Rossi leaving Minnesota, going to Michigan State, I guess it's a little bit closer to what Phil Parker was at Iowa for Ference there, where the defensive coordinator of Minnesota was far and ahead of where uh, the offense was at Minnesota. And then I think just uh, this isn't to answer the question exactly, but Nebraska holding on to White as their defensive coordinator instead of allowing him to go to USC, I think was a huge win for them. Nebraska's defense was much improved this year. Follow-up, Colin Klein, did you like that hire at Texas A&M? I did. I, I think he fits what Connor Weidman want, wants to do and how what Connor Weidman is really good at. And so Colin Klein, I think, made a really, really good decision. If he was going to go somewhere, uh, going to a place like A&M that's got the skill talent, they've got everything they need there to win. You heard about it for the last month, uh, and I think that was a, a good decision for Colin Klein. All right, last question for you. Uh, I guess to set up this question – Give me just uh, give me a conference, a power conference. ACC. ACC. So we'll say you're the athletic director at trying to pick kind of a let's say Georgia Tech. You're the athletic director at Georgia Tech, and all of a sudden you've got a coaching void to fill. Realistically, who do you think is the diamond in the rough out there that may be the next big deal at one of those type of schools, Keegan? It's a great question. I I, I don't. You know, it'd be easier if this was like SMU because of who he would be in state. But uh, it's just a matter of time before uh, UTSA head coach, oh gosh, uh, Jeff Trailer is going to be in a power conference. And in terms of his ties to Texas, uh, I think that that would be a huge, huge hire for them. Whether, it, you know, if you would have said Big 12, Baylor obviously could be on the market next year. We'll see what happens there. Arkansas is going to be you know, maybe on the market next year. I think Jeff Trailer at UTSA would be a great get. Um, and that's, you know, the obvious choice. Um, but there's a lot of love for J.G. Kinney out there, the tech, current coach at Texas State, and what he's building down there at, at Texas State. So, you know, I would go with Jeff Trailer from UTSA if I were at a power school. Stand up one time for the former Tulsa Golden Hurricane, G.J. Kinney, uh, down at Texas State. Keegan, always appreciate talking to you. I'm looking forward to uh, – the culmination of this college football season with the playoffs. Uh, maybe next year when we have the 12-team playoff, we'll finally get people to agree that it's a good thing. I, do you want? Are you happy with that, the 12-team, before uh, you go? Yeah, no, I am. I, I think the people that think it's going to like diminish the regular season and consequences of some games, like, don't realize, like, Oklahoma fans and Texas fans do not care about the college football playoff when it comes to OU yep. Texas. Michigan, Ohio State fans don't care about that game uh, in terms of the consequences of that game. Iron Bowl, it's not going to change the rivalry games. 
there are going to be more impactful games at the end of the year, though. And uh, I think that that thing that I do think as we get closer to it, people will come around. Yeah, and it's our best chance to see Bedlam again and OU against some of their old Big 12 rivals. I think it's going to be awesome. Keegan, it's awesome to talk to you. Don't forget to check out Keegan on Twitter. It's just at Keegan Renault, right? You got no underscores, no spaces? Correct. I'm an I'm a easy guy. Just at Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. All right, Keegan, we always appreciate, appreciate you. Keegan from RPM Data brings a brainy side to the college football talk that sometimes the meatheads like I don't usually uh, bring to the conversation. We want to thank Jacqueline Musgrove, our producer. Also, big thanks to Michael Lane, our creative director, and everyone behind the scenes, Michael Martin, Bobby Howard, that makes this thing go. Thank you so much, and join us next time right here on the Todd Pod. Mm-hmm.